0: To Pod Save Africa. Welcome 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 to Pod Save Africa. To Pod, Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome to Pod Save Africa. Welcome. Hello everyone. Welcome back to Pod Save Africa. It's yours truly, your favorite host, I can Don't tell the Oinkon seller this when she gets back. As you would imagine, Oinkon's uh, out on a uh, fact-finding mission, let's put it that way. And she's unavailable for this meeting, so I will be leading this news update. Um, It's a pleasure to be back, and I know my voice has been missed on the, uh, well, I'm telling myself, my voice (laughs) has been missed on the podcast, so I'm glad to be back. Um, However, some of the news updates we're sharing today are not in the highest of, uh, it's not the most public stuff, being completely honest with you. Um, we have a little bit of news on the train attack in Nigeria. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some anti-immigrant rhetoric going on in South Africa. We're going to talk about some good news in the in South Sudan. And we're going to talk about um, justice being served in Burkina Faso. Um, let's kick right into it. So starting with the first story of the day, um, I'm sure as many have started to see um, in a few weeks ago, there was an attack on a train in Kaduna heading from heading from Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria to Kaduna, which is a state, I think north, east, slightly northeast of the center central part which is where Abuja is. Um, as you'd imagine, you know, this is what one would hope is one of the safer routes since it's directly to the capital, however, um, it's said that suspected bandits, well, I don't like the language of calling people bandits, in fact, where in fact what they're doing is really terrorism. Um, and I feel like it's whitewashing um, some of the evils that are going on in Nigeria right now. However, you know, go, getting into kind of the specifics of the issue, um, it said that they planted bombs on the rail line, um, halted the train as a result, and then... Um, and then attacked it with gunmen and there's uh, nobody has claimed responsibility as of this time or at least nobody they haven't figured out who exactly did it quote unquote. Um, even though I'd, I'd be quite surprised if the government doesn't have some intelligence as to why or as to, you know, who are the the, the kind of suspected parties. Um, they said that the military at the time had secured the area and was getting all the passengers to safe places. Um, that was kind of the first wave of news, and the second wave of news we got, um, it was said that oh, some of these, you know, quite a few people were missing, um, and unfortunately, the, uh, the the list of people who, the manifest of people who were on the train, is a little bit of a model story because apparently the train had more people than it was supposed to have at the time, so. Um, there's layers of issues there. Um, so it's, they're having difficulty tracking the actual people that are missing because um, because the manifest, them, one, of course they manifest issues, and two, you can imagine a good number of them have been kidnapped. Um, so right now, the, the, the key questions facing the Nigerian government are, one, how do you secure what is one of the more active train lines? Two, how do you find the individuals that are missing. And then three, how do you, you know, create a long-term solution to quote-unquote banditry in most of Northern and even parts of Southern Nigeria now at this time? Um, I will keep you posted as the story evolves. Um, the current administration hasn't shown a particularly strong willingness to resolve this in recent times. Um, and I'm hoping that changes and also when there is regime change next year. Uh, regime change <laughs> uh, that there is that there is a significant new approach to solving this critical issue. Um, on to our next story, um, we're going to Burkina Faso. Um, as many of you people are familiar, there was once an individual who was the president of Burkina Faso called Thomas Sankara. Um, unfortunately, uh, he was murdered brutally in 1987 by soldiers who killed him and about twelve other men in or I think twelve men total, um, in in his office outside his office in nineteen eighty seven by a soldier. So it was given military coup. That military coup then installed an individual called Blaise Campari into presidency. He then went on to rule for twenty seven years with a fairly tight scrape until, you know, a significant uprising pushed him out. In in 2014 at which point he flee to Ivory Coast with the help of French soldiers. So um, now There have been multiple requests for extradition Ivory Coast has denied them and then of course, Mr. Sankara has remained exiled this entire time since 2014 so um, The big news here is that as of April 6th um, after a bunch of uh, for about a bunch of hearings for about a year, half a year um, the the courts in in uh, in Ivory Coast in Ouagadougou uh, announced that he has been Mr Compara in absentia of course has received a life sentence and imprisonment for the murder of Thomas Sankara which is something a lot of people suspected for a long time Um, if you're not familiar with Thomas Sankara, he was a firebrand Marxist revolutionary, and he was one of the youngest presidents in, in modern African history when he took power and when he rose to power in 1983, and he gained kind of this reputation for being a very kind of, you know, by the, by very set rules type of individual. And, you know, he also was a outspoken kind of. Believer in Pan Africanism and um, honestly, quite frankly, spoke out spoke out against kind of West, the West, quote unquote, Europe and the United States. Um, and at the time, in a period where you know where most of the countries were twenty or so years post colonialism and still had harsh wounds, and still, you know, to some degree today have harsh wounds about the, the West. Um, it was kind of a lot of people rallied around him having seen somebody that seemed to be standing up for the, uh, for African people. So, um, seeing this ruling makes a lot of people considerably happy to see some form of justice. Now, will he actually serve the sentence? Highly unlikely since he's not been extradited by Ivory Coast. Um, but for a lot of people, including, uh, Mr. Sankara's younger brother, uh, and his uh Mr Sankara's younger brother and his widow Miriam, um, who lives who's who's lived in France for the most part, um, have both mentioned that, you know, hey, this is a semblance of justice after having gone such a long time without any form of justice. Um, especially with an individual they thought was effectively invincible for for a, a long period of, of I mean twenty seven years, right? So um, that's the news there. Um uh, may you know his soul rest and may his family find justice, whatever that ends up looking like. um but that's that's a news update from Zimbabwe. Um now we're going to go to South Africa. sorry, that's your news update from Burkina Faso. Now we're going to Zimbabwe. Um, actually, we're going to South Africa, but this has to do with a Zimbabwean man who was stoned and set alight by a mob in a South African township on Wednesday during a flare-up of anti-immigrant violence. As we reported, as Port Save Africa, there have been these flare-ups of anti-immigrant violence in South Africa. Um, It's hard to fully understand some of the social dynamics that have led to Kind of these cyclical cyclical flare-ups um at one point i believe in 2017 a lot of us was was driven by a statement made by is looking at the time you know saying all foreigners you know should get out and at the time many foreigners were killed uh quite frequently foreigners also of african descent um so it's 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 um really xenophobic honestly um and what has happened now is that in this one occasion, um, the, 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 it was kind of a sequence of events happened back to back. The police minister just visited sloot which is a suburb in, in the n- northwest of Johannesburg we're talking about, and he you know said like hey, there's a, I acknowledge that issues is a crime here. I going to pledge more police officers. Um, and literally a few hours later, um, a small group of people were going from door to door. And you know, asking for people's passports and IDs to see who was a foreigner, um, and because you know they they blamed the crime on the foreigners, and uh, the, the the man apparently ran out of his house. They chased him down, stoned him to death. They eventually threw uh, tires on him and burnt him. Um, so really, mob justice in the in the worst in the worst kind of case, um, and this is part of a pattern, a broader pattern in in South Africa where a lot of groups have been rising up now that are effectively, um, effectively stoking xenophobic tensions in South Africa. Now, of course, the social dynamics at a high level involve a lot of people being poor without access to education, um, kind of sitting there having maybe, this is the I'm telling myself, maybe somewhat come to terms with kind of like, hey, colonialism got us here, maybe we can't do anything about that or kind of fight for justice to the, you know, uh, the non-African oppressors who have put us in this place. The non-African majority that's put us in this place. Um, But, you know, hey, what we're not going to accept is all of these individuals coming from other African countries and finding ways to be successful, right? So, um, you have organizations like, like, you know, Operation Dudula, which means, I believe, Go Back, Um, and a few other... Groups that are now kind of stoking anti-immigrant, uh, 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 f- um, um, you know, protests and events and things like that, and this is just really kind of a, a really sad occasion in which that has spiraled into the loss of somebody's life um, in in 2014, in twenty seventeen, I believe. I think similar things happened and lives were lost again, and um, you know the countries that. You know, 50% or so unemployment rates. You know, well, the, the well, the official unemployment rate is 35.3%. I think some of the people say it's you know about 50%. Um, it's it's one of those difficult situations in which a government has a responsibility to make things better for its people, whereas also creating a, an environment where South Africans and all the individuals. lives there have access to all the resources that they need um without feeling like they're you know competing for something limited the the crabs in the barrel you know mentality so um hoping for strong i think you know the key concerns here are are twofold one of course resolving the economic situation in south africa for the poorest of people uh, many of whom are are black individuals that's you know Honestly, have been have been have gotten the short, the short end of the stick in, in South Africa, um, but also in emphasising the need for for South Africans to de, to to be part of the African citizenry and, and support each other and part of the global citizenship scenery and not take such an aggressive approach towards foreigners. Um, and you know, hopefully, Cyril Ramaphosa and and his government take that that's quite seriously. Uh, moving on to our final piece of news for the day, um, we're going to South Sudan. Um, if you're not familiar, South Sudan has been in perpetual conflict for the past, I would say, two or so decades. Um, initially, you know, Sudan's lots of infighting broke into Sudan and then South Sudan. That's a long story I'm not going to go into. Um, then South Sudan becomes its own country. Um, however, South Sudan's the 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 two parties that the two individuals are currently leading the kind of two factions. Um, South Sudan's current president Salva Kiir and his vice president Riek Machar um, have led two opposing forces that basically have battled over the country for five years. There was a five-year civil war basically just uh, as soon as um, South Sudan became its own country. Now, um, so in in 2018, and Machar, they signed a peace agreement, but that actual implementation of said peace agreements hasn't really materialized. So they've still been fighting quite frequently, right? So imagine the president of, and vice president of the country are leading to opposing forces and they're fighting each other. And in recent weeks especially, that, that has escalated quite significantly. Um, and, you know, and you know the, the the vice president's side even got to the point. I believe March twenty third said, "Look, we're not even going to be part of this peace agreement because the government keeps attacking us XYZ. So, um, so you know, we're, I'm happy to report that they've now, as of April fourth, um, signed. They've agreed to resume talks about integrating their forces under univ- unified command. Um, and hopefully really work on enforcing this peace agreement so that they can build a country that works for all of the people within it. I think it's easy for fighting is easy, right It's like you know picking up weapons and attacking the other person or telling other people to attack other people. It doesn't take. The, well, of course, now there's lots of sophistication around things like that, but it's like relative to actually building nation building and committing to developing the economy and making sure resources are available and figuring out what access looks like for your people and deciding what institutions need to support all that. That's the real hard stuff. And from my perspective, Sudan has long deferred this work. South Sudan has long deferred this work. And it's time now for them to focus on doing so, and I'm hoping truly for a long-lasting peace that's focused on the outcomes as opposed to, you know, who gets to have power, when and where. Um, I think the generation of Africans growing up now, especially in South Sudan, where, you know, well over half the population is beneath the age of 50, those people are expecting better for themselves, and they can see the world out outside of where they live and see what outcomes look like there. And it's critically important that those people have a future they can build towards, as opposed to a lifetime lived in war. Um, I look forward to, I'm optimistic about Sudan, as I am about every single one of the countries we've talked about. But the general theme here is a lot of our leadership has key critical challenges to fulfill and to solve. Um, we you know people make arguments like hey who who does the responsibility for a good nation lie with the people themselves or the leadership and i think the influence of leadership is quite significant Now, of course i think every single individual has a part to play in doing better and being better but i think we've cyclically had failures of leadership on the african continent and um as much as I want to you know believe that institutions are the most important thing and I I really do but I I don't think those things happen without leaders that are committed to that so um I'm deeply hoping and maybe that's the tying theme of all the all the parts and pieces we've discussed today I'm deeply hoping that our leaders start to align their internal incentives with national progress um I look forward to look forward to to hearing more from you guys. Feel free to shoot us a note or some comments if you have any thoughts on the episode today and on some of the stories we've shared. Or if you have guests you want to have be on the podcast. But um it's really has been a pleasure to be back here with you today. Um it's been your host, Akandi Aderle. Uh you have a fantastic rest of your week and uh happy, happy April. Um and cheers everyone.